0: Of our Lord and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for You Anytime, Anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Tuesday, March the 8th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Matthew chapter 21. Jesus enters Jerusalem to the Hosannas that we celebrate every year on Palm Sunday, and then he enters a temple. These two accounts are probably some of the most read and remembered parts of the scriptures. Although we've read them, although we've heard them many, almost every single year, it does not mean it's not always good. It's good for us. It does mean that it is good for us to slow down and dig into them once again. I think you're going to have to be careful here today because this is such a powerful text. So many riches within that I might start singing Hosanna, loud Hosanna before our time is up. No promises, but it might happen. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles. We're looking forward to Palm Sunday, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome Pastor Steve Wheeler of Crossview Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota. Pastor Wheeler, happy Lent and welcome to Thy Strong Word.
1: Thank you, Brady. It's an honor to be here today. Really looking forward to our
0: conversation. Pastor, this is our first time together, so tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the Saints at Crossview. Sure.
1: Just a a little bit about myself. Um, I uh, have been a pastor at Crossview since 2004, so I've been there about 18 years. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful wife. Her name is Dawn. We've been married for about 32 years have a son who is married and uh, off to Wisconsin with his wife Caitlin, and also a daughter Sarah who's engaged to be married this June. Uh, so she's pretty excited about that.
0: <laughs> well, is, is Dad excited
1: oh, about that? Dad is very, very excited about. It. Good, good, good uh, follow-up question. Dad is very excited <laughs> about that. So is Mom.
0: Absolutely good. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going.
1: I was just going to say a little bit about Crossview. It's, it's just, I feel so blessed. It's been a wonderful, wonderful congregation. Um, have felt a very strong sense of calling there uh, for these past 18 years. And, and it's just been humbling to see what God has done. A few things about the church itself. Um, obviously, a, a church that is centered around God's word and the sacraments and uh, his love for the world. Um, part of our ministry, we have an early childhood center that's been in operation for over 30 years. Um, we're a church that's pretty engaged in our community. Um, some examples of that, just uh, we're in our uh, first, first year of uh, Community Light School of Discipleship, which is a, a, an outreach, really. We do it on-site, online, and on-demand. We also um, operate and participate in a couple of friendship centers, international friendship centers, through Pablo, People of the Book Lutheran Outreach. We do some outreach in the inner city. Um, we actually do outreach to Indian immigrants in the Southwest Metro. And then we have some international mission. We've actually adopted a small village in Guatemala, uh, called Los Vasquez. And we're currently in the process right now about actually helping them put in a completely new water system for their entire community. So, uh, lots going on. And then I do some stuff in the community too. I'm a chaplain for the Dina police department I've been doing that for about 11 years.
0: Wonderful! That, it, it, thank you for for that update, Pastor. And and for me, this is uh, deeply personal as well because my aunt and uncle, I believe, go to your early service, and my brother and sister in law go to the late service on Sundays. Is that correct? Am I right? That's they, what they sure me, do. At least
1: <laughs> they sure do. I can I can vouch that they are there, and I can vouch for both of those families that they are very active families.
0: Thanks Must be run to you God the family, for that. Right? it runs in the family so shout out to my family members but today as as pastor Wheeler and I talked before this point we're here to be in the word of god so pastor can you begin our time in prayer
1: I'd be honored let's pray gracious heavenly father in this season of lent we give thanks to you for the depth of your great love shown forth in your beloved son jesus christ our lord knowing exactly what awaited him in jerusalem that first palm sunday he entered the city nonetheless Today, we pray for the nations, especially remembering the people of Ukraine. We pray that you would spare bloodshed, bring peace to this conflict as only you can. We ask today that as we are in your word, that you would enlighten us by your Holy Spirit, as we read, mark, and inwardly digest that word. Lead us to join with the children of old, singing Hosanna to the King of Israel and David's royal son, now in the Lord's name coming, our King and blessed one.
0: Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, we are moving forward in the text as we look to Palm Sunday. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or on this live program, give us a call, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, we're going to begin by reading all of our verses. We are in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, We'll be doing the first 17 verses. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version as we hear the, the word of God, Matthew 21, starting in the first verse. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. and the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple Hosanna to the son of David and they they were indignant and they said to him do you have what these are saying do you hear what these are saying and Jesus said to them yes have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise and leaving them he went out to the city to Bethany and lodged there well, here's our text today. and, and before we dig in, uh, any um how do you want to start us off? immediate context themes, How do you want to begin?
1: Yeah, why don't we why don't we begin with the context because that really kind of sets us up for the who, what, and the why of of what we're going to see happens uh, in this, as you said, very, very familiar text. Um, and coming into the context, if if you go back a chapter to chapter twenty, um a part of the context that that precedes our text is that, We see Jesus giving his third passion prediction. That starts at about verse 17, where it says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. So already he knows exactly where he's going. He knows exactly why he's going there. He shared it with his disciples, although we know that they don't quite get it just yet. Um, But he also shares in the context why. And if you jump down to chapter 20, about verse 26, he's talking about, you know, the the mother's request, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. They they ask, you know, about uh, who's going to be the greatest and all that. And he responds, he says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you, must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as, and here it is, the why, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's given this passion prediction. He's told them, coming practically into the city, why he's going to do that. He's going to give his life as a ransom for the many. Now, one other thing that's kind of fun uh, in the context right before it is we see Um, what's happening in Jericho. And we have this story of the two blind men being healed. And we know that story that he's passing through Jericho. And, you know, they they call to him and they say, Lord, uh, have mercy on us, son of David. So they, Mm -hmm. they identify him actually as the son of David. And then it says that Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. And that's going to provide, I think those three things, as we talk about it, kind of provide a nice context as we head into chapter 21.
0: And that, that's a context that we, you know, to rehash it, because Pastor Schulteis yesterday, we dug into that. And there were so many fascinating parts. First of all, that, that son of David, usually it's the devil that gets it right. And it was nice to see that it was somebody else who got it right. <laughs> you know, yeah. they are speaking yeah, in faith sure. as opposed to the devil getting, we know who you are. And everyone else is like, I'm not sure who he is. Who's is this guy? What's going on? Um, and right. So it's really nice when they get it right. And it sets us up um, because often we, we, I mean, was, was we gather on Palm Sunday. This is why I'm so excited. I mean, Palm Sunday for us is confirmation Sunday. So I just love it. Okay. I love that opportunity to be in God's house and, 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 And it's so visual, you have the branches and we should probably start putting out cloaks too. And now I think about it, but yet so much that's so exciting that often, I mean, how many times have I come to Palm Sunday and thought, you know what, this happened right after the two blind men. I mean, I never thought about that. And so that's why I love how you laid it out, the the sons of Zebedee and, and coming to this point that that really brings us to this clear confession of who Jesus is today. So pastor, anything else you have for context or anything else before we begin?
1: No, I just, I think, you know, that last verse in 20, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. That leads us into chapter 21, where it says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, it's, it's, okay, who's the they? Well, a part of the they that's following him are these two blind men, which becomes very interesting later in the story when, what does he do in the temple? He heals the blind and the lame. Um, so kind of an, an interesting connection there, I think, that, that sets
0: the stage. All right. So let's dig in. We'll do the first three verses of the triumphal entry. We'll read it again. Now, when they came they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage in the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So right away, I mean, we, we got some context of where they are. We have some context of that. We have some things that really there's like, wait, there's a colt and a donkey. What does this mean? How do you want to make sure we're on the right path here? Make sure we're focused on on what the text says. How do you want to, um, uh, he has a clear path. What's his, What is he doing here? Yeah, so
1: I, I think that what's really interesting about these opening verses is Jesus is arranging exactly how he's going to enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He's calling the shots. He's laying out the path. He's picking out the ride, so to speak. I mean, he's, he's yeah. getting all of the, the the pieces in place. And I guess the question that we have to ask is, is why is that? So, yeah. you know, um, really, as, as we think about it, it's one, of course, as always, to fulfill the scriptures that talked about him. That's, that's pretty clear. And we're going to see as we continue on in the text, lots of quotes of the scriptures and even Matthew saying to fulfill the scriptures. So we'll see that coming. But really what he's doing through all of this is he's making clear that he is the long awaited son of David, the end time king over the people of God and over all of the nations. And that's going to come clear a little bit later in the text. Now, I, I think it's interesting that he he gives the disciples such clear, you know, um, instructions. Go ahead and you will find. And he's actually using at this point his divine nature to provide what's needed. And I, I was thinking about this as I was kind of studying the text. And I thought, you know, there are other examples of this. We have it in Matthew 17, where he says, hey, take the first fish you catch open its mouth and you'll find the four drachma coin. You know, take it to them for your tax, uh, for my tax and yours. Um, so he he you know uses his divine nature to send him to go do things to get things done he He does the same thing uh, in mark fourteen um when they're looking at the guest room for the passover. um and of course he predicts his his death with with pinpoint um accuracy so we've we've got these examples where he knows what he's doing. He's laying the groundwork for it, and uh it's it's for a reason, and here it really is to make it clear. Who he is? He is this longtime king over all of the people and over the nations of God, and he's he's coming. So, and and he really he's he's fulfilling, of course, the Zechariah nine passage that we'll get to in just a minute. Um, but what we know is that this king is going to enter um, the city in peace, and we'll talk about that in a moment.
0: Yeah, I love how I love how he said that because there is this very clear okay, this is what we're going to do. Sometimes you wonder, um, does Jesus really have a clear path he's taking because he's kind of wandering. He keeps going back and forth with the Sea of Galilee. He's kind of going here or there. He's, you know, all these things. And you wonder, does he have a clear path? But this is the time where it becomes laser focused now until the very end of the book of Matthew, which is really very helpful for a guy like me that doesn't like a lot of distractions. Um, And this is why I encourage you, our listeners, to, you know, let's let's really hunker down these last number of verses, uh, chapters of Matthew, because it just gets better and better, and you can clearly see what he's doing. I found it interesting, and Dr. Gibbs speaks about this in his commentary. I want any thoughts on... You always think of it, they go and they grab one donkey and they come back. But here it says, a donkey and a colt. Any thoughts on that? There's quite a bit of ink spilt on that, but any thoughts?
1: Yeah, there's, you know, different commentators make different things of it. Um, I think, you know, um, if I remember uh, Dr. Gibbs's commentary, I think the path that he took was more toward, you know, what Matthew's written is the truth. I mean, Matthew, when you read his gospel, he's one of the most exacting authors. He just, you know, has Mm, lots of mm -hmm. detail. Um, and so if he says there's two, there's two. And it most likely is because if he's riding on this colt, um, having the the um, colt's mother next to it is going to allow it to ride along calmly.
0: Yep. And, and that's a simple, I mean, Dr. Gibbs's commentary is so, so simple, but it's so true as you look at it. And like you said, we could spend all day trying to theorize, but ultimately what he said makes a lot of sense. Anything else, Pastor, in verses one through three?
1: No, I think that... Uh, I think you know one thing that I, I might uh, note, you know, just on on the uh, on his ride. I, I think it's interesting, you know, as we're talking about his ride and and uh, the, the donkey. You know, why why choose a donkey anyway? You asked, you know, is it one donkey? Is it two donkeys? Um, but why <laughs> ride the donkey anyway? Right? Right. And and I right. said at the beginning of this, he's he's and you echoed. He's laser focused. You know, he he knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it, and he's sending a message with the ride he's got, I guess the question is what, and, you know, if you go back to the old Testament, there's actually several key verses that help us to better understand why the donkey and second, in second Samuel 13, 29, that's that whole account. You know, when Absalom goes to kill Amnon for what he did, his half sister and all that. What's interesting though, is that at the end of that um, in verse 29, it says, so Absalom's men did what Amnon, uh, did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then it says all the king's sons. So the sons of the king got up and mounted their mules and fled. Right. And then we all remember, you know, kind of the, the Fabio story, you know, with, with Absalom as he's trying to get away and his long flowing hair gets caught up in the, in the tree. What's he riding there? He's riding a mule, right?
0: He's right. the king's oh, gosh, son. Yeah. He's
1: riding a mule. And then you get to 1 Kings one thirty three, where Solomon is being you know, installed as the king, anointed as king. And um, it says, take your Lord's servants with you. Have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon. So a, a part of what we're seeing here is the son of David, literally, the, the long-awaited mm-hmm. son of David, the king of Israel, is coming to town. And his ride says it all. Does that make
0: sense? Absolutely. We often will say very quickly, Oh, he chose a donkey because he's humble and, and act as if nobody had ever done a donkey or meal before this point. Or they, they only use big horses or whatever it might be, elephants or something. Um, but it's very, I mean, it happens more in Scripture than we let on. It is a humble thing. We clearly see that in Zechariah. Yeah. But also it's, it's not like it's unprecedented either as we look at that. That was one thing I thought was really interesting as well when I slowly went through this. Um, and I, you know what? I'm a little bit taken back. Usually we quote movies, but Fabio, I've never heard Fabio quoted in a scripture yet to this point. So thank you for that. You know,
1: I, I was trying to think of, I was trying to think of, I, I actually talked to my uh, my administrative assistant, and uh, our bookkeeper, and I said, now tell me, you know, a, a good looking guy, in your opinion, who has long flowing hair, you know, be tantamount to, to Absalom. And they're like, oh, Fabio.
0: Oh my so I said, all right, I'll go well, with it. I'm going to write that down. First time probably has been used here. So let's, let's move on in the text, verses 4 through 7. 4 through 7. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and said to them, Most of the crowd and and sat on them. Excuse me. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd. Excuse me. I went too far already. Um, Verse eight. uh, Verse seven is where I wanted to go, but I went through verse eight. So, Pastor, it makes clear that he is he is going to do this. He has a purpose, but as you said before, he is to fulfill this. Anything else about the nature of him going into Jerusalem, and what does it tell us about Jesus?
1: Yeah, I mean, as, as we look at these verses and kind of break them down a bit, there's there's a few things that I think really pop out. You know, Matthew is, is, of course, making sure that we see that this is a fulfillment of what was spoken. Now, it's interesting, he says, through the prophet. But, you know, usually when we look at this, we say, okay, Zechariah 9, and we go to Zechariah 9, 9-10. Um, but it actually is a combination of Zechariah and Isaiah 62. And there's there's a, a key hmm. word there that kind of sets it off that actually reads something into the text that Matthew is, I think, made, making a point here. So in, in Isaiah 62, it says, say to the daughter of Zion, okay? And in Zechariah, it says, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. So y- you've got... He's kind of combining the two passages here. And the point I think that's being made is the coming of Israel's king is something that's going to need to be proclaimed to Jerusalem. In other words, they're not going to get it. It's not going to be self-evident at first to them. They may even appear at first glance that they get it, but it's going to need to be said to them. It's going to need to be proclaimed to them in hopes that they'll believe, you know, in who Jesus really is. Um, so the other thing that I think you, and you brought this out a moment ago, um, that we really see in this verse, um, as we look at Zechariah nine is what kind of King now you mentioned, and I, Mm -hmm. I, agree with you too, you know, the difference between mule and horse, you know, if, if, if a King rides into town on his steed or something, it's, it's an act of war. It's, you know, it's, it's about, uh, an, an exercise of authority, maybe bloodshed power, something like that. Um, but here it it says he comes gentle, gentle, and riding on a donkey and this is a gentle king um he comes in and and the way that he is going to reign is not through the bloodshed of others, but as he's already predicted through his own bloodshed um that he will be a servant king who will basically establish the kingdom with his own life, not with the life of his people. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's a that's a theme we see throughout the the whole book of Matthew that we rehash all the time. And I love how you brought that into this too. Is this shows us what kind of king he will be, uh, and and I, and I love the Isaiah connection there too because think about that. They do need a reminder. They didn't, they don't just need to know that the king is coming, but Isaiah sixty two, which I believe is verse. Oh my, I had it right 11? here you yeah, go. Yeah, verse to 11. 11 re- Reminders mm-hmm. your listeners. It's a great passage to look at is behold, your salvation comes. So not only is he mm-hmm. humble, which I mean, we all could look humble. Um, not only is yep. he a servant, but also he's coming for the sake of salvation for all, all the people yeah. who are there before him. So it really it's, encompasses this King is different than the other King that's out there. He's different Anything than else the better. others. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: not, not, not at this point. I think he, I think as we get to the second part here, I mean, as we look at the structure, really kind of, you know, um, we might say that verses 1 through 7 really kind of are focusing on what Jesus is saying, um, you know, and on his words. And now as we kind of get into 8 through 11, we're going to take a different look at kind of the crowd's response to him and, and to his entrance into Jerusalem.
0: And this is important. I would encourage you, our listeners as well, as we prepare during Lent for Palm Sunday, these are wonderful distinctions for you to think through as you hear your pastor preach, as you study the scriptures, as you teach, maybe in your homes or Sunday school or whatever it might be. Is There is that wonderful proclamation, and then we see the response of the people, which has a whole different proclamation as we hear and one that we hear so often. So let's read verses eight and 11. I'll repeat verse eight as we go through the rest of this text of the triumphal entry. Most of the crowd, excuse me, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. I'm going to stop there because there's, there's a lot in those verses right there. there is. So they came out, they spread their cloaks, they put the palm branches. What's going on there? Why are they doing that?
1: Well, I you know, it's interesting because we we have kind of dubbed and given the nickname of Palm Sunday to this text. We call, in fact, we sometimes call it the Palm Sunday text, right? right. Um, the question we should ask maybe a little bit is what, what is the significance of you know of these of these palms, and and we might even take a step further back in Matthew's gospel. How do we even know they were palms? Because it doesn't say necessarily in Matthew's gospel that they were palms. Actually, we learn that from a parallel passage in John chapter twelve um, that they took palm branches and went out to meet him. So we know that they did that. You know, shouting Hosanna from John's gospel. But but the bigger question is, you know, why why the palms, and. As I did a little bit of digging and looking around, in Leviticus 23, verse 40, we find this connection to the Feast of Tabernacles, which I find absolutely fascinating. So Leviticus 23:40 says, "...on the first day you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days." I think seven days is kind of interesting as we look at, yeah. you know, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. I think also it's interesting the, the connection of palms between um, the Feast of Tabernacles and Palm Sunday because the Feast of Tabernacles was really a commemoration of the Exodus from Egypt. And, you know, as, as we look at the, the, the Exodus from Egypt and go back to the Mount of Transfiguration, do you remember in Luke's gospel, the conversation that he has with Moses and Elijah? Luke's gospel is the only one that talks about this. It says they spoke about his coming, and the actual Greek word is ex that was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem, right? So now all of a sudden we've got this exodus event that's going to be happening in Jerusalem. It, it starts on Palm Sunday, right? And we've hmm. got them waving these palms, so I, I find that fascinating. So then I, then I started doing a little bit more digging on this. I said, well, I wonder how Jewish people today understand the poems. And, and um, I actually found a, a really interesting quote from a guy by the name of Moses Ben Maimon. He was one of the most prolific, influential Torah scholars of the Middle Ages. And this is what, what he said. He said, these seven days are kept by the Jews now chiefly in carnal mirth, And so for ages past, as by carrying the above bows in their hands and going around about the altar with them and shaking them and crying Hosanna and making use of all sorts of music, vocal, instrumental, piping, dancing, leaping, skipping and various gestures, even by persons of the highest rank and of the greatest character for sobriety. So, you know, even into the Middle Ages, this this feast of tabernacles, they're using palm branches and they're shouting Hosanna. Um, And and we've got that. So there's just some very interesting connections. Also, the the palm branch um, is the symbol of uh, victory. Um, Mm -hmm. It was printed on a lot of the coins back then. Um, It was a symbol of uh, wealth. Um, a symbol of great value and the palm tree itself in in the holy land um, is one of the most important plants other than the olive tree maybe I mean it had the date the um, the coconut palm trees they supplied coconut and coconut milk sap and sugar was dry i mean you've got all these things they could even take the leaves and boil them down and use them as a vegetable the point is there was there was almost no wasted parts so by laying down palm palm leaves they're really laying down something that's really important to them and it's important to their society and doing it as an act of homage to a king. So it's, it's a big deal.
0: Palms. Well, I I challenge everybody to try to think through all of that for Palm Sunday as it comes (laughs) right now. We need to take our break pastor. We are studying Matthew chapter 21 with pastor Steve Wheeler and we'll be right back. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter twenty-one with Pastor Steve Wheeler of Crossview Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota. And Pastor, you gave us a lot to chew on there—literally, almost. in Palm Sunday and the palm branches that they brought—that this was not just like uh, you know, I have a little birch tree leaf here that I'll throw out there just to kind of mm-hmm. say, "Well, I, I don't mind." Or rose petals—even it's not like that. This was a significant source of their um, of who they were, what they had, what they valued in their lives, and. Showing this is a victorious time. And I want, to, I want to touch on this. The words that they say is Hosanna in the highest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, what does that mean? What does Hosanna mean?
1: Well, Hosanna uh, comes from the Hebrew word, which means save us now. Hosanna. It's actually two words. Um, and it's it means save us now. And, and they're really, what they're doing is they're quoting Psalm 118. And uh, in Psalm 118, it's kind of interesting because we really, we have this incredible uh, mirroring of what's happening on Palm Sunday. There's also something really interesting in Psalm 118 in verse 22. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. And then right after that, it says, save us, Hoshana, we pray, O Lord. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So um, it's it, they are they are basically saying and fulfilling um, what was said in Psalm 118. They're saying, come and save us now. Now, the question I guess we got to ask is, did they really fully know what they were saying? And I'll kind of leave that out there for a second.
0: Well, yeah. Are you asking me that, or are you just leaving it out for all of us to ponder? Well, what do you think? I,
1: I think I think we I think we get the answer. You know the answer, obviously, Brady. I mean, the the answer comes to us in in uh, in verses ten and eleven. Um, right. and as we we move toward ten and eleven, we're going to see that they get part of it, but they don't get it fully. They get part of it, but they don't get it fully.
0: So, and, um, go ahead. It, this is what I really enjoy about well your perspective on this because now it pops in my mind because like i said we have confirmation sunday on palm sunday and one of the great lines that you always hear when our young people or any adults when they confirm their faith whoever whatever age they are that you say do you believe this and and will you do this and all of it uh, is basically said yes with the help of god and right. so we hear them saying these right words, but then there's still questions. And that's totally helpful for me as I think in my own life, my you know, when we care for people in our congregations, people we talk to. There always is like this other shoe that drops where they're like, but I'm not quite sure about X. And here we see right. it fully that what we trust in is not – Oh, did they say the words with full meaning, but who's coming in the name of the Lord? You know, who, who who's right. the one coming to save us from our sins? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is the great thing that this is all about Jesus. So, Pastor, I want to get to the next two verses, like you said, but anything else about Hosanna, palm branches, or anything else?
1: No, I, I think that, you know, it just, uh, they're, they're calling this out. And the, the wonderful thing, you know, even for the people, and when we get to 10 and 11 here in a second, even though they don't fully get it, like you said, God's grace overcomes our weakness. And I, I don't know that the two blind men fully got what they were saying when they're calling him the son of David, but they still followed him in faith and Jesus still led them and and, um, and they came to know him more. So, I mean, it's it's just amazing when we think about God's grace. We may not have all of the answers. We never have all of the answers completely nailed down, but God's grace is sufficient for us.
0: Let's hear more of that. Verses ten and eleven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, "Who is this?" And the crowd said, "This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee." So they bring up they bring up the big question: Who is this? <laughs> this can be comforting yeah. and kind of frustrating as well. So thoughts on those two verses? Well,
1: it's you know they ask the question. Really, that's one of the guiding guiding questions of Matthew throughout his entire Gospels. Mm-hmm. Who who do the people say the Son of Man is? And right. here you see them answering it, um, and they're saying, well, he's," he, they say this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. Are they right? Well, yes, he is a prophet. There's no question, but is he more? He's way more. He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. He's the the prince of peace, the mighty God, the everlasting. I mean, it's just an amazing thing when you think about who Jesus really is. Um, And they get part of it, but they don't get all of it. And that's going to be revealed um, as the, the story moves on and as the narrative moves on in the gospel.
0: We do see a very clear, and, and, and we'll see this throughout the rest of this week. That's why I encourage our listeners to listen listen to all this week, is chapter 21 definitely brings us that understanding of the threefold uh, uh, um, offices of Jesus. Prophet priest and king all king. laid out yep. in our text uh, throughout chapter 21 so keep that in mind they talked about the prophet we also see the understanding of what kind of king he is and i don't know i i'm not going to do it but boy i'm ready to sing hosanna loud hosanna we won't do it here this morning but <laughs> i really encourage this is pretty exciting doesn't it it does. Oh, my gosh. What a great uh, reality. Plus, it's so visual. I'm a very visual person. And I know many of our listeners are as well that you can vision these people running up to him with the cloak covering the, the, the donkey, him coming in. They're celebrating. They, people don't necessarily understand the whole thing, but they know something great is happening. And the Lord works through those moments. So, Pastor, triumphal entry. Any last thoughts before we move on to the next portion? I think we can move on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now comes the second um portion of our text today. And I, I'm excited we're gonna have some time for this because here's a scenario that um that often happens. We hear this story. One, there's there's parts that you're like, I don't quite get it. Jesus seems angry. What's up with angry Jesus? The second part of it, too, is it gets quoted not the most in in the church, but I've heard it quoted a lot, especially if somebody is selling brownies in the narthex or somebody, (laughs) you know, selling something else here and there. Right. And the, and the, (laughs) the church is trying to navigate those waters. All of a sudden, people know this story. And so that is something we have to ask the question. What is Jesus showing us? What is Matthew unveiling, peeling back of who Jesus is? So 12 and 13, uh, let's hear this as Jesus enters the temple. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. This is... uh, the the there's a lot of complexity to this so um where are they why is he saying what is he quoting and and what's the point so what do you got
1: sure sure why don't we just start let's start with where he is because this this really kind of centers this this portion of the text and where he is 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 remarkable in and of itself he is in the temple (laughs) we know from the context He came into Jerusalem predicting what was going to happen. He enters the city knowing that everybody's going to, that he's ultimately going to be rejected by the leaders. He knows that he's going to eventually be condemned and he's going to die. He knows that in, in the temple area, I mean, he is headed to basically where the center of priestly power rests. You talk about prophet, priest, and king. All the priests are there. And, and that's going to be a power that ultimately is going to be used to, for a mistrial to crucify him. And they're going to reject who he really is, God's own son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Um, but Jesus goes to Jerusalem anyway. He goes to the temple, which to us, it, it's, it's got to communicate volumes of his great love for the world, of what he was willing to endure and to go there anyway. Now, now the temple itself is kind of interesting, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's a big area. It's like 35 acres. It's it's about a mile in circumference, I think. Um, mm. You know, to the east of it, you've got the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives. Um, and from this text, it would appear that this overturning of the tables took place in the outer court of the Gentiles, which occupied um, several uh, several acres there, which is um, you know a pretty big area. Um, there's there's a couple things that I think are really helped to bring out. What he's, what he's doing there. Um, first of all, just for our listeners, I think it's important that they know that in that outer court where the Gentiles were, there was actually a low wall that went all the way around that, which was kind of come this far, but no further Gentiles. Um, they they mm-hmm. called it a Sorg. And what's interesting to me is it had a notice on it. And we actually have found two archaeologists, found two stones that, that have what was written on that, on that wall. And check this out. This is what it says. It said, no foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself, shall he put blame for the death, which will ensue. Welcome to church. Right. (laughs) You know, he's, he's going to say this is supposed to be a house of prayer, you know, for the nations. And mm. and what have they made it into? They've made it into something else. It's not a it's not a place where the nations are welcome anymore. It's a place where they're turned away. Um, and so you know, when we see this this uh, temple thing, and even in in my Bible here it says Jesus cleanses the temple. I think we have to be careful because sometimes yeah. the word cleansing can give the the sense that. You know, he went there to clean up the place, to clean up their act, get it back in order, and then business back to usual, right? Get it back to what it was. That's not why he goes to the temple. He's going to the temple to judge the entire institution, and especially the leaders who have led the nation astray. And he's going to be quoting, you know, some some passages here from uh, Jeremiah uh, and, you know, Saying basically, you've you've made this into a house of robbers. So, um,
0: wow, and, and and this is this is very helpful. First of all. Uh, in the Lutheran study Bible that we have, just to see the pure size of the temple. You, you have a, on page 1,627, which is part of mm-hmm. our text today. You do have just the the pure size of the temple that is indicated in, in proximity and, and, and in relation to the rest of the city. So I would just encourage our listeners to see that. But also, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, and it is is what we're what we're saying is he's coming in there and they he's not so much saying, Hey, don't sell pigeons in here anymore that alone. He's not saying, Okay, once we get that figured out, then the temple's gonna be back to what the purpose of it was. He's just he's just he's just saying, you know what, this is all wrong because this is not welcoming me to the nations, this is not what it is. And then we learn in, in John that I'm the temple. So the worship is not about right. this at all. Uh, this is gonna be about me. Am I on the right track or what are your thoughts?
1: I, I think so. Absolutely. And I think, you know, his action in going to, you know, where, where the money changers are and where are these animals are being sold and so forth, his action goes right after the temple's very purpose. And that's the offering of sacrifices. And right. the sacrifice that's going to matter at the end of the Holy Week is only one sacrifice. And the institution that's, that's been a part of that that's grown corrupt over the centuries is going to be no more. Um, and, uh, you know, there's different, different commentators have different ideas on, you know, well, what were they doing? Were they changing the money wrong or whatever? And I don't, I don't know that we need to get into that, but the, the big, the biggest issue is he's judging the institution and its leaders who have led the nation astray. He's going after the temple's very purpose, the offering of sacrifices. He is going to be the sacrifice that matters. His life is going to be given for the sins of the world.
0: The big question I think everyone is asking at the end of this, can we sell brownies in the Narthex now, Pastor? Can you, can you give us some insight? <laughs>
1: Um I, I'm gonna uh I'm gonna take the fifth on that one.
0: <laughs> no, it's very helpful. Um come in, uh, worship the Lord, the final sacrifice has happened in our Lord Jesus. So Pastor, let's read the rest of our um rest of our verses because there's another quote in here that I hear quite often, usually in a quip. So it's a lot of fun. Verses 14 through 17. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. Okay, so Pastor... We talked about the two blind men being healed before. Now we hear of the blind and the lame going into the temple. Any significance to that?
1: Oh, there's huge significance in this one. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, first of all, what we know is that um, in that day, the blind and the lame we're not allowed to enter the temple complex. And in fact, we have some examples of this. So for example, in Acts chapter three, where Peter and John, you know, they go to heal the the lame man and they do it at the gate, beautiful. Um, Some commentators think that that may be as far as the blind and the lame could go. Um, But now, now with Jesus, they're going to the temple and he's going to heal them. Um, You know, I, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, Matthew is the only gospel writer who included this. And, Mm -hmm, you know, whenever whenever there's something that's, you know, it's, uh, it's Matthewan Zondergoot, you know, it's, it's unique only to the book of Matthew. (laughs) It it really makes you wonder, okay, what is this? What, what's the, what's going on here? And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. He was an underdog. He was among the hated in the Jewish society, the despised. And we might even use this word in our day. He was discriminated. Okay. And what Jesus is showing here is there's going to be no discrimination against Gentile, blind, or lame, because the temple is going to be a house of prayer for all. Jesus is going to to bring all in. Now, a question that we might ask is, where did they get this idea that the lame and that, they couldn't come to the temple? Mm-hmm. And, and that actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament in Second Samuel 5, 6 through 8, when David and his men were taking Jerusalem for the first time and the Jebusites still live there. And uh, let me just, if you don't mind, let me just read a couple of verses Please on do. this because this is really interesting. It says, the Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. And on that day, David had said, "Anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind, bl- uh, those lame and blind who are David's enemies." And that is why they say the blind and the lame will not enter the palace. Now now what's interesting here is the word the word in 2nd uh, Samuel is palace. In the Hebrew it's by it, which means like a dwelling or a place. And we can actually say, well, that's not true, because we know that there was a lame person that lived in the palace, Saul's grandson, mm-hmm. Mo- Mephibosheth. Right. So we, we know of somebody who lived in there. So then the question comes, well, well then when and why did where did they get this idea? And we don't know exactly, but it would appear that maybe it crept in in the third century with the translation of the, the um, Hebrew scriptures into the Greek and the Septuagint. Because what happened is that that Hebrew word that meant dwelling or place was translated in the Septuagint as the house of the Lord. So somewhere it, it shifted. Now the thought was, well, it's not just the palace, it's, it's the, the house of the Lord, the temple. And, and Josephus says this, he says, the Jebusites uh, were so confident in their wall, they placed the blind and the lame on it um, to defend the wall in contempt of David. So, you know, we, we got this picture um, all the way, you know, with Josephus and stuff of, of what was happening. But the question was, why? And it may be that translation, we're not sure. But what we do know is this, that at that time, the blind and the lame were not able to go in. And what does Jesus do here? he welcomes them. And not only that, he heals them. And these verses, they really demonstrate that the reign of God is present in Jesus. He's healing, that restoration is for all people, that even though he's speaking a harsh word of judgment against the institution, against the leaders, um, all who will acknowledge him, he will receive and his grace is for all.
0: It lines up so perfectly with what you're saying based on a theme that we've, we've hit on quite often is that Christ's reign um, has come. Christ's reign is here and Christ's reign is coming. This kingdom understanding of Jesus. And this looks differently. And, you know, as you were saying this, too, it really reminds me to this point, Pharisees and others could have said, well, yeah, you know, he heals the blind. He heals the lame. But that all happens out there. You know that's fine just as long as it's out there and okay he does on the sabbath you know what people up in the galilee area they don't understand it as well as us so okay it's out there But now it gets personal because he's doing it in here. (laughs) Now you're on our house. You're on our terms. And you're doing this right there, which once again shows that he's very clear in his goals and he's very clear in who he is. And even, and this is why I want to get to this point, verse 16, is it says, you know, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, "Yeah." I mean, you can kind of right. you can hear like a snarky Jesus like, "Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you read Psalm <laughs> mm-hmm. 8 or not?" you know. And I hear this quote quite often pastor where it says, "Well, out of the mouth of babes," right? You've heard that. It's kind of right. yep. when a child says something, you know, kind of quite insightful. And why does he quote that? What's the significance of that in this text?
1: Well, he's he's quoting Psalm 8, and in that psalm the children or the infants in the psalm, they're they're um, through their praise, they're they're basically raising that up as a part of creation. If you go to that psalm to silence God's enemies, so the children are, are silencing God's enemies in the psalm. It just so happens here that the enemies who are being silenced by the cries of children are the religious leaders. So I mean, it's <laughs> it, it must have just been a real smack to them in the face, you know, that here these kids are crying this out. And they're drowning out, you know, the religious leaders. Um, And that's why, you know, Jesus, he, you know, he he is, it's almost kind of a snarky thing. Like, do you hear him? Yeah, I hear him. And I'm not stopping him because what they're saying is true.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I I think it's interesting too. I think it's, oh, go go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, you you know, you're on a roll. I think,
1: (laughs) I I think it's, I think it's interesting too that, you know, in verse 15, it says, and this is just Matthew, when they saw the wonderful things that he did, it's like he's healing people. The kids are crying out loud. They get angry. <laughs> it just, it right. shows you how much they rejected who he was. They did not see him as God's son and the king. They They did not see him for who he was. They saw him simply as a threat to the establishment. They were insiders and they didn't want anybody stepping on their turf.
0: And there's two things with this. First of all, we all, um, this Lenten season, have to repent because sometimes uh, we, when we feel like someone's on our turf, will react the same way as the Pharisees, even if it is the truth, even if it is something that we have done something wrong and need to repent and need forgiveness from our Lord, that that, we can sympathize with the Pharisees. But also it's really fun to see how Jesus is is bringing people into the fold, you know, he's bringing everyone into the fold and revealing who he is with patience, um, with with love and with care. Like you said, his grace is literally pouring upon them as they're looking at even the children understand. And this brings me back, I want to highlight this uh, really quickly, is this Lenten season, our church is going through the hymns of of Lent and into the Holy Week. And ours, we will be, part of the reason I want to sing this song so much is because I've done some study on it, but Hosanna, Loud Hosanna begins, and this is written by a gal from the 19th century, Jeanette Thraulfall, and she worked explicitly with children, and she she made this poem in the 19th century, and she wanted to make sure the kids knew they were part of the kingdom. And I I can almost guarantee she was using the Matthew text, because it says this, Mm -hmm. Hosanna, Loud Hosanna, the little children sang. Through pillared courts and temple, the lovely anthem rang. To Jesus, who had blessed them, close folded to His breast, the children sang their praises, the simplest and the best. And and what (laughs) what a wonderful as you as you've talked about this. And that's what came to mind for me is this is wonderful understanding of all nations included the children. In those days, you know, we could probably talk a lot about it, but it would not have been seen as, okay, yeah, they're part of this. You hear this hymn and you can just feel Jeanette Threlfall teaching her Mm -hmm. children about, you are part of this. You are a little lamb. You are part of this kingdom. You are one that can wave your palm branches because Jesus has come for you. And I think Matthew in such a wonderful way shows us, the kingdom, how far it expands. Pastor, about a minute before we get to verse, the last verse, Neith, last thoughts on that.
1: On the last verse. Um, the last verse is just kind yeah. of interesting because it would seem that, that Matthew, might he might have in mind Ezekiel's prophecy um, in relation to the glory of the Lord and its departure from the temple to the Mount of Olives. And it's returned to the Mount of Olives in Ezekiel 11, 22 and 23. There it says, mm. the cherubim with wheels beside them spread their wings and the glory of God was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. And um, we have kind of a, a replaying of this, if you will, that you remember, you know, in, um, in 587 with the destruction of the temple, the, the ark was no longer there. Well, now Jesus comes into the temple and the glory of God once again is in the temple, but they reject it. And he leaves the temple and he goes back out to the Mount of Olives. It's just kind of an interesting uh, thing. And and, uh, in the book of Haggai, uh, chapter 2, it talks about that 2, verses 6 through 9. It talks about how um, the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. Um, And in this place, I will grant peace. And that peace is going to come through Jesus who comes to us that
0: first Palm Sunday in Holy Week. Pastor, 30 seconds, how would you summarize our text and encourage our listeners?
1: I I would summarize our text by really um, encouraging people to ask the question, who is this Jesus who came that first Palm Sunday and what is it that he's done for you? And he is, as, as you said, Brady, the one who comes for all, for the child, for the outcast, for the sinner, for the Jew, for the Gentile, for all people. And he entered that city knowing exactly what awaited him. And he did it anyway. And the reason why is because of his great, great love for us. Uh, What an amazing Savior we have. His grace is more than we can comprehend.
0: Pastor Steve Wheeler of Crossview Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 21. Pastor Wheeler, the happy Lent to you and thank you for bringing us his gifts.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Brady, for the opportunity.
0: I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.